We believe a more diverse group of decision makers is a better group of decision makers. We believe with more voices, more representation at the table, we win more games. This is not a box checking exercise. This is not a um, let's have diversity for the sake of diversity. We, we want the diversity because we think it will make our organizations better and make the world better ultimately. Welcome to the third season of the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. This month's podcast finds us getting in the mood for baseball season with my guests, the reigning National League Manager of the Year from your San Francisco Giants, Gabe Kapler. So Gabe, Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Larry, good to be here with you. I'm looking forward to this discussion. So I'm here in San Francisco, and you are in Scottsdale. And I know in normal circumstances, you'd be on the field right now uh, getting some early work in with your pitchers and catchers. So I know you hope to be back soon to defend your NL West crown. What are you doing now to prepare ahead of this lockout, hopefully ending very soon? We're using the time to to connect on a more social level. So that's probably our, our coaching staff. We're spending a lot of time um, on the phone, you know, texting back and forth on Slack channels and just sort of spending time together. There's some minor league camps going on here and we're going to support the major league coaches are going to play a supportive role in those minor league camps. It'll give us a chance to see and evaluate and get to know our prospects, a few of our our, our younger players, which is always welcome. Major league coaches never get enough exposure to the minor leagues. So that's one way we're using our time. And quite frankly, we're encouraging people because we know what a grind the major league baseball season is 162 games in the season, another, you know, 30 plus in spring training, the postseason. It's just a major grind to enjoy the time with their families. Our, you know, one of our, our coaches, Andrew Bailey, our pitching coach just took off for Hawaii. And he's going to spend a couple of days there. So as crazy as it sounds, this is a really good time to take advantage and and spend time with family ahead of a, a very major grind that's coming up. Yeah, for sure. You know, as, as we were talking earlier, I, I was a former scout for the Giants. And, and when I was brought in, and I was at the very early age of kind of young people getting into the baseball side of things, but was always... Todd, obviously, when you go out and you watch an amateur player play, a, a young high school kid, you knew he would always get better when given the opportunity. But I was always taught, well, you know, a major leaguer can be evaluated by the stats on the back of his baseball card. And I, I see the misnomer of that by the way you've approached it. And that what I really love is that you're providing veteran major league players with so many resources that even in their 20s and 30s, they can still get better. How did this modern approach or even thought come to be for you? It's interesting, Larry. It seems so obvious, right? Human beings are developing at every stage in their life. You know, I'm 46 years old. Every day is a new opportunity 
for me to develop. If I was still on a baseball field, you better believe I would still have a, a lot of development left. And I think it's kind of silly. I remember getting to the major leagues as a player in 1998, and I was very much left alone. And there's some some coaching happening, but I think the feeling was that when players got to the big leagues, best thing to do was sort of let them coach themselves. I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. We're always looking for for feedback. The most critical feedback is, in my opinion, the most helpful type of feedback, especially as major leaguers. We have a lot of people surrounding us with fluffy support. We just need to be challenged. We need the bar raised for us and we need to have people tell us that there's more in the tank. So I don't think this is any sort of, this is nothing earth shattering. It's just human development happens at, at every stage and, and we're trying to focus on human development, as you mentioned, even into the the 30s, the mid 30s of our players. We have some that are creeping in the direction of 40 and, and we have to be uh, prepared to help them be their best as well. Yeah, I just love that. I just remember back in the late 80s and early 90s, you could not beg enough players even to take a pregame infield. And sometimes I remember back then, Major League Baseball made every team take a, a pregame and there would not even be enough. There would not even be enough players. Sometimes a catcher would have to take it in right field or so. It was it was it was kind of a farce. So I just love it makes perfect sense. And we're seeing so many athletes in all sports play, you know, into their 40s. And yeah, so I just think it's it makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you, you're, you're on it. One more quick thing on that topic before we move on. I think the best example the best modern example that we all have of that late stage career development is Tom Brady. And this is a guy that like literally year round was challenging himself at every turn to grow and develop and to get better. So if Tom Brady is sort of doing that by himself, there's no reason a major league coaching staff can't ask if we know players like Logan Webb and Kevin Gosman and Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria to do the same. Yeah. Amen. And so when you finally gather with your team in Arizona for your first meeting, how do you follow up a 107-win season? What's the approach? I think the approach is to not focus on the win total at all. So, you know, the, the goal is not to go out, okay, we won 107 last year, let's win 108 or 109 in 2022. First of all, the chances of that happening are, they're just slim, right? There's a lot has to go your way. You have to play very good baseball, very consistently over a long period of time. And you're going to have to have some good fortune to win that number of baseball games. But what we can do is turn the dial up on our practice sessions. And I don't mean like longer, more arduous practices, but more efficient and crisper practices, sometimes more intense practices. I think we can challenge ourselves as coaches and I can challenge myself as a manager to be better in game. One of the things that I think I can improve on is recognizing when a player needs a full day off and giving him that full day off. I think last year, I was very tempted to use even our veteran players off the bench late in games when probably what the best move would have been would have just given them the full day off. But, you know, you get a little greedy in the season and you have Brandon Crawford out there and you're Brandon Crawford's getting his day off. But you need a defensive replacement and there's no better defensive replacement out there than Brandon Crawford. So that is a very tempting thing, but it takes discipline to give him that full day off and let all of his tissues recover and let his mind recover. So this year I may be a little bit more disciplined when it comes to using our veteran players off the bench. Yeah. Got it. 
this podcast really the essence of it is to make people aware and celebrate all the goodness people are doing away from their normal profession. And you have such a long history of supporting so many social causes. Uh, it began back in your playing days with the Gabe Kapler Foundation, where you were trying to com combat domestic violence. Where did the motivation for that come from? Uh, sure. So uh, my, my then wife, Lisa, was in a, a, a really abusive relationship in high school. And at least in part, she was motivated to raise awareness at the high school level. So the two of us together, collectively, we would go to high schools and talk about, from her perspective, obviously, what it was like to be in that relationship. And then also some of the signs that young people could look for if, if they were in domestic violence situations with either a romantic partner or perhaps even families at home. And my perspective and my position on it was to kind of show that you could be strong and you could be physically strong. You could be, or you could maintain, you know, masculinity while also being supportive and understanding what true strength is. And it's not necessarily physical power or dominance over somebody else. It, sometimes that strength is, is sort of playing a supportive role with, with somebody at home. So I thought it was important at the time to, I was, you know, a major league baseball player. I was playing for the Boston Red Sox. There was a lot of vis visibility. I was a bigger dude. It was a good example to the young high school students that I, you know, I didn't have to sort of exert physical strength to show that strength. Those were two of the initiatives. We were also improving conditions in two specific shelters in Southern California. We poured a lot of resources and time and energy. My mother as well, who was sort of running day-to-day -day operations on the foundation there in Southern California at the time. And uh, I thought we did a, a lot of good work. And I think the only reason the Gabe Kapler Foundation shut down was just because I think my mom had had enough of, of running things day to day. And we, we put a lot of time, effort and money into it. And we were just going to move on to other things and um, still proud of the work that we did. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well, very well said. About a year ago, along with your business partner, Stephanie, you launched the Pipeline for Change. Tell us about that mission. So Pipeline for Change is our foundation and our mission is to put people of color, marginalized groups into positions of decision-making power in baseball, starting in baseball, but then into sports. And ultimately, we believe that sports Two corporations, two businesses in the world are sort of the celebrities and, and that those businesses follow the lead of, of sports teams. So we believe a more diverse group of decision makers is a better group of decision makers. We believe with more voices, more representation at the table, we win more games. So this is not a box checking exercise. This is not a um, let's have diversity for the sake of diversity. We want the diversity because we think it will make our organizations better and make the world better ultimately. That's why Pipeline for Change is in place. And we're we're actively working on it every day to both raise awareness, but also to to give grants and and get people into that pipeline. Ultimately, we understand that it's not enough to get people into the pipeline. It's also important for us to develop mentorship programs and advocacy programs for those marginalized groups. We need to see less homogenous leadership is, is the bottom line. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we'll put in the show notes a way for everyone to get engaged, to volunteer, to make contributions, and to see what you're doing. It's really a very unique thing. And, and what's an example of a, a grant maybe you've made so far through Pipeline? I think Steph would probably be best equipped to kind of talk through the, the, the details, but there are local high school students who are, are getting aid to move towards their goals and dreams of, of working in, in sports. Yeah. Yeah. And in, with all qualifications being equal, how important was it for you personally to add Alyssa and Nacken to your staff? Personally and professionally, both were, were critically important. So interestingly, when I, I had no necessarily vision or ambition of adding, and this is sort of goes back in line with the, what I just mentioned about Pipeline for Changes, there was no idea to like check a box and have a woman on our, our major league coaching staff. She was just better than the competition. So I met Alyssa in the hallway at Oracle Park. She was working on the business side for the, for the Giants, Giants Enterprises. And she had a lot of good connections in the organization, but we talked a little bit and I found her to be incredibly impressive through conversations with Farhan Zaidi and others in the organization. She just emerged as a candidate for our coaching staff. And as, as I went through the interview process with Alyssa, it became more and more clear that she had a skill set that would immediately make an impact on our major league coaching staff. So we hired her because she was by far the best candidate that we interviewed. And then over the course of time with us, she's emerged as, as one of our better coaches, perhaps our most impactful coach in some ways. She's a great connector. There is no job that she can't handle. And I've said this publicly, I'll continue to say it. She has a skill set that translates well to do my job. And I think, you know, at some point, Alyssa is going to find herself as a candidate to be a major league manager if she wants to do it. There are so many things that she can do away from the field and away from baseball that I'm not sure that that's ultimately going to be her ambition. She has to decide that, but there is nothing in sports that, that she can't do. And, and all she needs at this point is, is to continue to gain experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. You know, on another topic back when I was getting into scouting in the eighties, the old time scouts, when we would go to a ball game and we'd be sitting in the stands and writing our reports, they said, uh, don't forget, put a black dot on the corner of this report. And I said, well, what's that for? And they said, well, you got to identify the black players and the, you know, the old scouts who were, you know, they were around in the fifties and sixties, they still were making people aware this could be a black player. Maybe we're not going to draft him. We'll have a separate list of black players. And I, I thought, man, we're in the 1980s. Wow. I know you're a big proponent of the black lives matter movement. You were the first manager to kneel in support of that. You know, where are we headed and are you hopeful that we're getting better on the opportunities, certainly in baseball, not only on the field, but in prominent personnel roles in baseball. We're not where we need to be, that's for sure. I mean, if you look, you look around the game, the representation is just far too low for Black people in our, in our sport. And I think one way baseball operations can make an impact, because I think it's easy to call out statistics and say, this is, this is not good enough, and we need to do that. But what we really need to do is, is start taking action. And I think the easiest action step is to approach Black players that are in our system and look for ways to get them into leadership positions in baseball. So one of the things that has happened historically is 
coaches look for people that look like them to be coaches, look like them, sort of act like them, play like them. So you'll get sort of coaches like the white gritty shortstop is perfect for a coaching position. He was just a little bit short on talent, but he hustled and he kind of feels like I might have felt if I fell a little bit short as a coach when I was a player. And so it's perfect. This, this little white gritty shortstop can make a great coach. But we were just like blowing past a lot of the native Spanish speakers. We blow past some of the black players. And of course, we don't have enough black players. So that's a whole other issue to address. But one way to get black players to be interested in baseball is to have black coaches and leaders in our game. Our first base coach is from the Bahamas. He's a black man. And he just is a perfect example. He went to to Vandy and has been a, a great athlete perfect example of how we can how we can lead he's also like very much like Alyssa can do anything that he wants I can't wait to watch watch him develop in his career but players watching at home need to see both black players and they need to see black coaches on the field so my sense is we just need to do a better job and when I say we I mean the white kind of homogenous group of of leaders of, of figuring out ways to blow past our own bias. Like it's not just that white gritty shortstop that makes a great coach. It's also the black player that's, that's right there in front of us. I've one, one player that comes to mind who I think the world of, he's very, very quiet. He's a black man, very, very quiet, but very thoughtful and has an excellent baseball instinct, but because he's so quiet, he doesn't really necessarily stand out as somebody that you might see in front of a group leading a drill. But we have to blow past that part and say, this is still a thoughtful, excellent baseball man. And how can we get him into that position where people are seeing how how great he is at his job? So there are a lot of different ways to attack it, but that's one that continues to stand out. Again, it's like removing, it's removing our own bias. Yeah. You know, out of all the mainstream sports, a baseball clubhouse may be the most diverse and worldwide represented, like you said. So when you address your team, are you aware of all the different cultures you need to relate to and may even be somewhat sympathetic to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of the reason we have we have hired such a, a diverse coaching staff. Now, I think we have if we don't have that, the most diverse coaching staff in baseball, we're right there. So we have. As I mentioned, we have a black man from the Bahamas as our first base coach. We have a Dominican native Spanish speaking hitting coach in the dugout. His name is Pedro Guerrero. We have a Puerto Rican quality assurance coach. His name is Nick Ortiz. As, as we discussed, we have Alyssa Nacken, uh, a woman on our staff. We have a, a, a black Cuban man as our lead director of video coaching. We have a native Japanese coach on our staff. And, you know, that's sort of, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Rohana Pacheco is one of our uh, lead analysts in our clubhouse. She's from Venezuela. So what, what I think we're inching towards is exactly what you're saying. Having a coach that any player from any background can say, okay, that, that feels like home to me. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. We don't want it to work out that way. Sometimes we want the white player to be able to connect with the white American native English speaker to be able to connect 
with the Dominican hitting coach. But sometimes that comfort is in is in that representation. So, yes, I think it's important, given the diversity in our clubhouse as players, to have that sort of diversity on our coaching staff and our leadership positions across the sport. Yeah, you have such an interesting approach, and and you support really all the causes, especially in, here in the Bay Area, from SF Pride to the even the San Quentin Baseball Giants program. Where was all this desire to help all humans? Where was it born from? Did it come from your parents, or where did it, where did you see the example, and what drove you? Yeah, I think I think it's uh, my mother and father. I mean, a lot of people have asked me over the years who my influences in baseball have been, and, and there's been influences. There are people that I've I've looked up to in the sport. There are people who have had influences in my managerial style. All of those things. But nobody makes the impact that our mothers and fathers make, good or bad. Both of my parents were political activists. They were um, anti-war activists. They were civil rights activists. And they were very outspoken about their beliefs around these things. So my dinner table, my quote unquote dinner table at home was very much a, a place of debate. It was very much a place of how can we support some of the groups that, that, that we've talked about, how can we recognize our own privilege? I think my, the house that I grew up in sort of lower middle class in, you know, this, the heart of the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, yet we had, you know, I think we all recognize and continue to recognize and need to do a better job of recognizing our privilege and where we can, where we can make an impact. So, yeah, I think it comes from my, my parents and, and their activism. One of my earliest memories of my father, and I don't even remember what the exact message was, but we were driving, driving in his car. We stopped under a freeway overpass. He got out of the car, grabbed a can of spray paint, and spray painted some political message on the side of the freeway. So that was sort of the example that I had as, as a kid. And, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you know, that doesn't resonate as the best example for many people. But in my mind, it was it was speak up and and tell the truth. Yeah, no, that's powerful. Yeah. And I, I what I hear from you, the word privilege, and I think you've recognized the privilege baseball has provided you and continues yes, to provide yes. you. So is giving back a way of some way showing your gratefulness for all of it? Yeah, I don't know that it's that kind of traditional I want to give back because baseball has given me so much. It's more, I have this window of opportunity as a player. I had some, I was kind of like an average major league player for, you know, 10, 12 years. And I had some platform because I think people listen to, to players and especially like in places like Boston and, and Detroit and, and some of the other cities I played in, you have, you have a bit of a voice. But the voice that I have now is much larger. It's not that it, it like reaches so many more people, but I think people listen to coaches and, and leaders in organizations. And I don't think that I'll feel bad if like five years from now, seven years from now, 10 years from now, I haven't won as many games as I'd like to win. But I will feel small if I don't use that platform to make an impact in the community, make, the, make an impact socially use this platform to speak my mind and, and help make change specifically in the city of San Francisco. That's sort of how I see the platform as an opportunity and a responsibility. Look, I get to talk 
I get to, I call it, this is a major privilege. I get to speak to the media two times a day, pregame and postgame. And every day there, there's an opportunity to say something that might reach somebody. So I don't take that responsibility lightly. Uh, like I said, I feel a responsibility to, to use that platform to do good work. Yeah. You just mentioned San Francisco. And so you've traveled, baseball's provided you this great opportunity to travel our country. And it's San Francisco is just in a different place, allowing voices of change to be heard. And you must've saw that right when you arrived here. Yeah, it, it felt, it felt and continues to feel serendipitous, right? I, I, in, in Philadelphia, I think I was sort of making, I, I was trying to like leave an imprint as a baseball manager and it, look, it just didn't, it didn't quite work out in San Francisco. I felt at home immediately and I felt more and I continue to feel accepted. Like I'm not your, you know, I don't think I have the typical mindset of, of a traditional baseball manager. The, the manager before me in San Francisco is iconic and legendary. Bruce Bochy is one of the greatest managers of all time and, and somebody that I have a, a lot of respect for. Our personality types are, are not similar. And so I feel like with that, San Francisco has really embraced me and, and I, I'm really grateful for that because they don't, they don't have to. So I did feel like it was a bit of a, a, a good fit at the, at the very beginning. And I think it's continuing to grow. I mean, the relationship between me and the community in San Francisco, I think is continuing to, to strengthen. And that's a bond that I, I, I'm putting a lot of effort into, into continuing to build. And do you think what you do in the community gains you even more respect in the clubhouse from the players, which in essence could yield even better results on the field? I think so. I mean, I, I don't think that is unique to me. I just think people respect other people who are pouring into their communities and pouring into the people specifically in their communities. Now, that doesn't mean that my position on social justice matters is perfectly aligned with everybody in our clubhouse. That's an important thing to call out. Like my goal, my mission is not to agree with everyone. And it's certainly not to gain favor players in, in the choices that I make around some of these social justice issues. My mission is to speak up and talk about the things that, that I believe in. And that, I think, I think that act is something that players ultimately respect. Look, I respect players who speak up and, and share what's on their minds, independent of where they stand on that. Again, I, I do think that it's important to call out that this is not about gaining favor with with players or staff or or even even the city. It's about speaking up about the things that that we all believe in. Yeah, and I think it's it's refreshing. I, I know baseball fans and Giants fans are very passionate. They show up, they cheer. You saw that, and they love their team. But I think when they hear this and they see what you're doing, I think it even gains more of a respect for the club and, and where it's headed and what it, a baseball team really can represent for a community. So I want to congratulate you for what you're doing and where you're headed with the team. And, you know, I really look forward to the conversation for Pipeline for Change and the Good Tidings Foundation to continue. Uh, there's definitely an opportunity for us to work together on some things in the community. So I look forward to this becoming a new friendship for sure. I look forward to it as well. I enjoyed the conversation and, and, you know, this is interesting. We talked a lot, a lot about platforms. I appreciate you using your platform the way you are. I appreciate you sharing your platform with me.
Yeah. All right. Well, be well. Good luck to you this season. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Larry. You have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.